All right, turn to John 14. John 14. I thought about what I'm going to do next week, and I almost uh, ended up saying I'm not going to try to preach a sermon next week, but I will. Um, and that will be on the 19th verse specifically. But today I want to bridge the gap between this and that. In the 19th verse, we'll, we'll go ahead and read a little bit here and pick up where we left off last week. He says in verse 12, bless you, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believes on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do. The believer is by the sake of believing upon Christ is entering into a greater work, a work that Christ is doing. Paul understood this, Christ lives in me. And what is the basis? The basis is because I go unto my Father. The finished work of Christ becomes the basis of the greater work of the believer. And whatsoever ye shall ask, still in the same context of this greater work that we're entering into, whatsoever ye shall ask in that context, in my name, that will I do. There's this connection between the work of Christ and the work of the believer and the work that they are doing. He says, I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So we enter into this mutual relationship of, or reciprocal rather, relationship between the Father and Son whereby they are glorified and the Father and the Son would have us glorify the Father in Him. If He shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. And then we started last week, if ye love me, keep my commandments. That is the conditional. Uh, this is a general condition. If you love me, if you are one that loves me, this is a synonym for being saved. Uh, all things work together for them that love the Lord. Uh, let all who love not the Lord Jesus Christ be cursed, anathema. We just read that earlier by mistake. <laughs> uh, we are among those that love him. This is also a synonym in this text, in this context, for the one that believes on me in verse 12. All right? So if this is true about you, if you love me, and then what we have is three then statements. And here, uh, we have it read as an imperative, keep, but it's actually a future indicative. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will pray, and the Father will give. So three then statements connected with the one if statement. 
So if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. And we mentioned last time, as we began to open up our discussion about the Holy Spirit, by the way, the Holy Spirit is what's needed for us to live the Christian life. We could not do so without Him. And uh, it's not, the Holy Spirit is not given to us as if, and I will pray, if you keep my commandments, I will pray, but if you love me, I will pray. Uh, this is not a holiness reading uh, that, uh, uh, of the text that says, well, if you're obedient, then you will get the Spirit. Uh, this is uh, a con- an answer to the very first condition, just like you will keep my commandments is. This is another answer. Our part, if you love me, our part is to keep his commandments. His part is to pray and intercede to the Father. And the Father's part is to give us the Holy Spirit, all based on that same condition. All right, so we started talking about the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit? First of all, the Holy Spirit is given on the foundation of the finished work of Christ. It's the exalted Christ that goes before the Father and and sits at the right hand, exalted, and He intercedes there, forever lives to make intercession there. And what is it that He intercedes for? He says, I will pray, I will ask the Father. And then what does the Father do in response? It is a sure response as well. I will pray and the Father will give. So the basis of, the, of us having the Holy Spirit is the fact that Christ is exalted as Lord and Savior. And all of that is true of Him. And then we talked about the Holy Spirit. He is another comforter. There is, another, there is, a, there is a first comforter. Who is the first comforter? The first comforter is Christ. Uh, my brethren, these things I write unto you that you sin not, but if any man sin, we have an advocate. That's the same word, paraclete. That's, that's, that's there translated uh, in the King James's advocate, here translated as comforter. Uh, that, but he is the advocate. John understood another here. The, the Holy Spirit was another. Christ was the comforter. The Holy Spirit is everything to us that Christ was to his disciples when he walked on the earth. He's the one urging us, the one helping us, the one encouraging us, the one comforting us, the one, the one, uh, the one that is there to lean upon, to, the one that comes alongside, the one that is called alongside for our aid. And in him we have everything that we need. So, he comes to abide. He comes to dwell. In my Father's house are many mansions, abiding places, abodes. And here, while we're waiting for that, we have one that has come to abide, to remain with us. And how long will he do so? Forever. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> You received the Spirit when you believed, and He'll abide with you forever. There's no end. 
you have the one, if you are indeed among those that love him, if you are indeed among those that believe on him, you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, and that Holy Spirit will abide with you forever. That's where we left off. All right, verse 17. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it sees him not, neither knows him, but ye know him, and he dwells in with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world sees me no more, but ye see me. Because I live, ye shall live also. It's those last words that I plan on dealing with next week for a few minutes. But before then, I want to talk about the other things that are said here. The fourth point about the Holy Spirit. The Spirit bears truth. And this truth separates the disciple from the world. Amen? That's verse 17. Who is this other comforter? The other comforter is even the spirit of truth. That's who it is. This, this stands, this help that is called to our side, stands here as an, as an apposition. It stands here as a further clarifying mark of who we are speaking about. We are speaking about the spirit of truth. And it is the relationship of truth that undergirds the interceding of the Spirit on our behalf. The Spirit is called to come along our side, and He is not called along our side to minister to our feelings, to minister to our emotions, but to minister truth. And not that He does not minister to those things, but He does so in truth. The Father will send this other comforter to abide with us, and this is the Spirit of Truth. The title, Spirit of Truth, like I said, stands as a clarifying remark to what this another paraclete is. Both the noun, spirit, and the adjective, truth, are identified in the Greek text, both with the article, the Greek article. So what do, we, what do we have here is what we would call, um, and I'm going somewhere with this. I know your eye, sometimes your eyes will glaze over when I start talking about the Greek or something like that. But I, I, I promise you this is not a really hard point. There is different ways in which Greek can be expressed to add emphasis. You can have in the, specifically in the noun-adjective relationship. Sometimes the, the, uh, as long as the adjective has the article, then it is acting as an attribute. Acting as an attribute to the noun. Uh, all right, don't glaze over yet. I'm going somewhere. All right, so you can have different positions that these happen. So you can have the article, adjective, noun, where the noun does not have the article, and therefore what's being highlighted is the adjective, the attribute. It just happens that this 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 good man this this man happens that happens to be good. Uh, the idea that the noun is not being highlighted, the fact that there is goodness there is being highlighted. Or you can have the noun, 
article, adjective, a different position. Where this time, I got that wrong. But anyway, both have the, ad <laughs> I've confused myself. Both have the article. And the idea is both are being emphasized. Both are given, uh, uh, equal, are being equally highlighted. His relationship as truth is just as important as his identity as the Holy Spirit that which is being attributed to him. The Spirit does not have an accidental relationship with truth, but a necessary, it is a necessary attribute of the Holy Spirit. I want to think of it like this. We sing sometimes Deuteronomy 32.4. You all remember the words, right? He is the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are judgment. A God of truth, and without iniquity, just and right is He, right? So you all remember the song. God is the God of truth. Both, that, is, that is a necessary attribute of God here. It is a necessary attribute of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit has an essential, the essential aspect as the God of our experience. And what is He doing? He is ministering truth. In a world that has relativized the idea of truth and relegated to the realm, realm of flighty feelings, the Holy Spirit stands as one that communicates real and absolute truth in this world and demands true worship. God is spirit and those that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth if you and there's all a constantly being said the 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 holy spirit is speaking truth into this world if you have ears to hear let him hear what the spirit says again we see the personal idea uh the the, the idea of the personality of the spirit coming out this is not the only essential attribute of the spirit we we have a lot of this a lot of this uh, uh, noun, adjective, uh, articles going on. In fact, often you will read the title Holy Spirit, but that's the same construction, almost uh, often is the same construction where you have the article, noun, article, adjective, where both, is, well, both are given the, the same emphasis in the statement. We can call him, the, and therefore we call him the Holy Spirit, and we can just as well here consider this a title, the truth spirits. The Holy Spirit, uh, the same construction, though it's a noun. The God Spirit, 1 Corinthians 2.11. The Son Spirit, Galatians 4.6. Those are, those are both noun-to-noun uh, uh, -noun comparisons. But we uh, Ephesians 1.13, He is the Spirit of promise or the promise Spirit. And so, uh, or Hebrews 10.29, we can simply say the grace Spirit. These are all attributes attributed to him. The Spirit comes to our side with truth and abides with us. Now Barnes said this, he is thus called here because he would teach them the truth and would guide them into all truth, John 16, 13, also part of the upper room discourse here. He would keep them from all error and teach them the truth which either by writing or preaching they were to communicate to others. The Spirit 
is speaking to us and what he is saying is true. The presence of the Spirit is connected indelibly to the proclamation of the truth, the proclamation specifically of the Scriptures that He has proclaimed. This is far from the ineffable spirit of ecstatic worship peddled off so often. I think here of an Old Testament figure, a nameless spirit, When Ahab wanted to go to war, God sent a spirit who says, how can I, uh, how how will will we bring Ahab to his destruction there? And one of the spirits stood up, but I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of his prophets. But this is no lying spirit, which leads to death. And it's no uncertain spirit that leads to instability and a fall. It's a true spirit for this cause. Uh, some have argued that the translation here would, could have been advocate as well. And so we have such a broad semantic range for this term paraclete, but we have him here as an advocate. This expression confirms the rendering advocate, said the the Cambridge notes here. Uh, Truth is much more closely connected with the idea of advocating a cause than with the idea of comforting. Paraclete is the spirit of truth as being the bearer of divine revelation, bringing truth home to the hearts of people. It is opposed to the spirit of error that the world embraces. And like the cloud, you remember when the exodus happened, the people went forth into the, into the mountains there to worship. The armies of Egypt came out to meet them, and a cloud separated the camp of Israel, God's people, from the Egyptians. The cloud by day, fire by night, here, what does Jesus say? He says, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it sees him not, neither knows him, but you know him. The manifest presence of God separates the people of God from the world. The false prophets who love not the Lord are to also those that Jude says have not the spirit. In Jude one nineteen. The Spirit is the one whom the world cannot receive. That's a that's a that's a absolute language there, right? It cannot. It's not that they will not, but they cannot receive. And he gives a reason, a cause clause here, because it sees him not, neither knows him, and then goes on to say, but you know him. Now, why is this true? And like I said, we have the cause clause that tells us exactly why it is true. It is, it is true because the Spirit is received, Galatians 3.2 that we looked at last week, the Spirit is received by the hearing of faith. How did you receive the Spirit? That was a question that uh, Paul asked the men there at Ephesus that were uh, preaching the baptism of John. He says, have you received the Spirit? <laughs> why? Because with the one that's coming after John... 
would receive the baptism of the Spirit. Have you received it? He asked. And he said, we haven't even heard of such a thing ever. We haven't even heard that a Spirit has come. The Spirit is received by the hearing of faith. The world is unable to receive because they cannot see Him. And the idea is seeing with our naked eye. Uh, He is not able to be gazed upon, so they prefer what? Idols. What can you do with an idol? I can see an idol. I can, I can touch it. It's, got, and it, it. it's something that I can understand. I, and even if we're not talking about making something out of wood or stone, we're always after that God. Well, well what's the AA language? The God of my understanding. That's what we're looking for. We're looking to mold and make God however we want and the experience of God into whatever we want it to be. And, and uh, that's, 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 uh, that's just as much idol worship. But he is not able to be gazed upon. So they prefer the idols. They prefer to walk by sight because the things of God, 1 Corinthians 2.14, are spiritually discerned. God showed the Israelites, uh, I've been reading in, in uh, Deuteronomy uh, very slowly because... I'm not really good at reading Hebrew, <laughs> but uh, I've noticed time and time again in Deuteronomy chapter 4, he said, be careful. When I spoke to you out of the fire, you didn't see a form, you didn't see a shape. He warned them not to make the things of any form like the objects that they see in heaven or the objects that they see upon earth, the, to gaze upon those and to worship those, if you want a full reading of that, Deuteronomy 4, starting in verse 11 through verse 24. They cannot receive in their rebellion what they cannot judge, what they cannot analyze, what they cannot mold to their own will. The term see here, they cannot see him. Well, I mean, the term world speaking is speaking of that kind of spirits. The term world here is those that are under the power of the world. What what did Jesus say about those that are in the world? He says, this is the condemnation, John 3. Usually people start where I stop right there at verse 16. But this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than lights. They are consumed with the things of the world. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life are of the world, and the world passes away. They are the ones that are blinded by the God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. They hold to that which passes instead of that which is held by faith, and not seeing Him by the means of faith, it says, neither know him. They don't know him either. They can't know him in experience because they want, they want their experience to be shaped by their own experiences. Because they demand that God conforms to their experience, they cannot know him in theirs. But then it says what? but you know him. There's a difference. What, what makes this big difference? The spirit? <laughs> the spirit of truth makes this difference. But you know him. We know him in our experience. I, 
It's a searching question. Is that part of your experience is the experience of the Spirit? I'm not talking about if you had an experience uh, uh, like, a, like, a, like a Pentecostal kind of experience where you're running around and you feel ecstatic and, you know, you're, you're barking like a dog or laughing in the Spirit. or being, I'm not talking about those kind of experiences. Um, do you have the... Do you have the experience of the Holy Spirit walking by your side? Paul talked about this experience. He says, being just, we read that this morning. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith and this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience, experience and experience. Hope and hope makes not a shame because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. How? By the Holy Spirit, which is given to us. Is that your experience? It's the experience of those that love Him. It's the experience of those that believe Him. Amen? It's experience of those, according to Paul, that are justified by faith. We are people that know the Holy Spirit. And this is a different cause clause here. But you know him for why? How is it that we know him? Because he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. We, believing on Christ, loving Christ, receiving the promise of the Holy Spirit through the mediation of Christ, know him. We know him because... We're encompassed by Him. We get a deeper sense of what the previous preposition in the Greek, it's meta, it's the with, in verse 16, that He may abide with you, in verse 16, means. What does it mean that He's going to dwell with me? Well, here we get a deeper sense with two more prepositions that are given to our aid. Prepositions are very, they really aid us in our understanding. Uh, so here, what, what are the two prepositions? We will know him because he abides para, by our side. So here, for he dwells with you. The word there is, with, this time the with is para, by your side, for your help, someone to lean on, someone to support, to urge, sometimes drag, <laughs> pulling us forward. Let me ask you this. Why haven't you quit yet? I'll tell you why, for those of you that are saved. You haven't quit yet because you have one by your side. Amen? <laughs> You're not here because you were just really perseverant. I mean, perseverant, <laughs> if that's a word. You're here because you have the Holy Spirit. You probably wanted to quit a thousand times before today, right? 
I'm, am I the only one that feels like that? I, <laughs> all right, no, uh, that's, that's our experience. But we have one here. And I haven't quit yet because of him. It's grace. It's grace that's kept me thus far, right? That was the third verse that, that uh, I don't know why uh, um, our Arminian brethren sing the third verse of Amazing Grace, but they do. Uh, without thinking, tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. I have para, one here by my side, a companion, a friend. Christ hasn't left me. He hasn't. I'm getting ahead of myself here. Oh my, it's 106. Please forgive me. I, I'm going to try to hurry. So, but I have one here by my side as a help, and I have one in. Now, there's two ways to say in, <laughs> in Greek. And this isn't the one speaking spatially, but the one speaking relationally. And interested in, you have someone in you, intimately in you, energizing you, leading you. And this is what the Father has sent. We will always have one dwelling in us that is urging us toward that which is of Christ. This was to be a greater experience. This is to be a greater experience. In fact, one time Jesus said to his disciples, you should rejoice that I go away because if I go away, I'm going to send the Spirit. We have something more than they had when they were listening to, with you, to Jesus sitting right in front of them. We don't just have one by our side. We have one in us. And we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we have the full experience that God has given us of God. And this was not lost on John who drew constant assurance uh, from the obvious working of God in his life. If you read first, the first epistle of John in its fullness, what does he keep saying? We know that we know God because of this work that's happening in our life and this work that's happening and this work and we draw our assurance. And what is the basis of all this? First John, where, where, he, where, he, says, where he says, I write these things that you may know. He says in First John 4.13, Hereby know that we dwell in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. The doctrine of Paul agreed. The Spirit is the one within us, the one guiding us, the one helping us. The fruit of the Spirit is being worked in us. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, so on. This is what we have. And now I come to the end and I see that it's 108. The Spirit is one nature with Christ. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you, he says in verse 18. Now, following the tenses of the verb in the 17th verse, the paraclete was presently abiding with them and, um, and or among them, and in the future would be in them intimately, every believer, become, making them the temple of the Holy Ghost, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. But the present abiding then was Christ. 
who is, for he dwells in the, in the present tense. So that was Christ, already the Spirit, dwelling with them through Christ. He had the, uh, the Spirit remaining upon him for John one thirty three. That will be the same will be the same in the future except the other way around. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. It'll be Christ present with us through the Spirit. The word come here is not to be confused with the language of the second coming or spiritualized resurrection as some people have made it. But without any interjection or without any conjunction, this sentence stands indelibly connected to the meaning of the last. It is a description of what the, of what the Spirit does. The Spirit ministers Christ to us. I knew I'd wake up the baby sooner or later. It comforts the destitute. I like I like that. I will not leave you comfortless. What is that word there? The word there is orphan. Where we get the word orphan from. I will not leave you orphans, he says. I will not leave you comfortless, destitute, without any help, without any aid. He comforts the desoluted by union with the Father. But here it's a union. Later on in verse 23, he says, If any man love me, it's the same conditional statement, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and, he will, and we will come unto him. Really, we receive Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is ministered to us by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But here it's the Son and the Spirit. I will come to you. Paul would later say, Christ in you. Now, I don't understand the mystery of the unity of Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, but I know I still have Christ more than the disciples had when they first heard these words. Christ in you. He was able to say when the, after the resurrection, Lo, I am with you. How? Through the Spirit. There's comfort here, like I said. I will not leave you comfortless. I will not leave you bereaved and orphaned, fatherless, desolate. Christ would not leave them without comfort. In fact, he would say later in the same chapter, my peace, I leave you. That's his idea of comfort. Through the Holy Spirit, we are adopted. <laughs> Amen. Uh, I like how Brother Jimmy prays, and almost inevitably when Brother Jimmy prays, he says, thank you for the spirit of adoption. <laughs> Amen. Because uh, that's what, but how is that ministered to us? Galatians 4, 6, he has sent the spirit in our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Our adoption is eternal through the Holy Spirit. The absent Christ becomes the present Christ as brother the Father through as Father and the Spirit as a companion forever. It is in this sense that Christ becomes the life-giving Spirit of the 6th and the 19th verse that we'll talk about next week where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Because I live, you shall live also. How is that so? 1 Corinthians 15, 45, the second man 
becomes a quickening spirit. We have assurance that of the raised and exalted Christ because we have a real presence of the Holy Spirit with us. And we can talk more and more, but I, it's already 15 after and you all are going to run me out of here on a rail. <laughs> and I won't get a chance to talk next week about because I live. You shall live also. Uh, but thank God that we have the Holy Spirit. I pray that I'm talking about what you experience in your life because you are indeed among those that love Christ. Let's stand and we'll be dismissed. <clears throat>